So hear me out on this. Movies are good, but that's just a dreadful fucking lie when the movies in question are The Flash or pretty much any Transformers film. So unfortunately, we're going to be doing an awful lot of shitting on things this week. But I know you secretly love that and can't wait to hear me absolutely brutalize them bad boys. So get on in here! The Flash. <laughs> this week on Movies Are Good, we are catching up still with some of the June-July releases, and some of them are the ones that I just couldn't bear to go and see, like, immediately in cinema. Caught them eventually. Sadly. <laughs> just filled with snacks, just, you know, I really have to gear myself up. And The Flash. I mean, I heard a lot, okay? There's been a lot said about this film. Um, <laughs> and it did. It really took me a little while before I could bear to go near it. But I eventually saw it, and I have to say, it was somehow exactly as bad as I expected, even after all the shit I heard. My expectations were so low going in. I shouldn't, it shouldn't have been possible for them to meet those expectations at that point. Anything. You know, all the film had to do was, was have images on the screen moving, and it should have been much more bearable than I had envisioned because everybody had told me, wow, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. And I was like, okay, but, you know, it's not really, right? <laughs> it's close. Uh, so, Barry Allen wants to be a good hero boy, but he's so quirky and weird and wacky that it can be hard for him. And also his mom is dead. Dead mom, mom dead, yeah. So, uh, life can be hard, but also, wow. I mean, that was a long time ago. You'd think it isn't still absorbing every second of his thoughts, and yet it is. And he travels back in time to try and bring her back, but doesn't because obviously it isn't that simple. Never, never is. And yet they just, you know, keeps doing it anyway. He's meant to be like really smart, and yet didn't really come up with any potential consequences for fucking around with the timeline. And it doesn't matter. Um, and and that's kind of the whole point of the story, you know. <clears throat> And that's the thing. I know the story that they've adapted for this. It's Flashpoint, right? Okay, makes sense. And Flashpoint was done to change the whole DC universe. And I actually really got into DC Comics when they did the New 52 right after Flashpoint. And he changed the whole universe. And um, I gotta say, just, yeah, wow. <laughs> this was not a good version of it. <laughs> to begin with, this is not a good version of it. And part of that is because... For a good Flashpoint story, you need other characters, other big DC characters, you know? Throwing in the Michael Keaton Batman and Supergirl wasn't really enough. You would have needed, I don't know, like, like the, the proper, like, Ben Affleck Batman, you know, or, or other Batmans, like George Clooney or, or, or Wonder Woman or something like that to make a good Flashpoint story. And they had all of that anyway for cameos and didn't actually use them in the alternate universe. And it just, <clears throat> it's fine. It's really upsetting to me that they actually had everything they needed and just used it all incorrectly. There's no excuse. There's no... The, the same excuse you have for, like, Marvel's Secret Invasion show. That, oh yeah, the original Secret Invasion story in the comics had, like, every Avenger in it. And obviously they couldn't get that for a Disney Plus show. Okay, so maybe you shouldn't have done Secret Invasion, but, you know, you get my point. Flashpoint here didn't have the same excuse. They had everything they needed, okay? <laughs> it's horrifying. Um, and the problem for me... Beside all of that was from the moment he meets an even quirkier, weirder, and wackier him in the young alternate version of himself, he becomes overly serious. The 
the first Barry. He becomes like this really serious character, really annoyed all the time. Not even remotely the Barry Allen, the Barry Allen character that Ezra Miller played in like Justice League or I don't know whatever else he's cameoed in up to this point. And I mean, just it's it's really annoying because okay, they're kind of stripping back a full half of what makes him this character at all. That's that's annoying. But fortunately, he's also going to lose his powers for half the film, so he won't even be the Flash. I... No, now that I say that out loud, that doesn't help. No, that is the opposite of helping. That's stripping back the other half of what makes him this character. He just becomes the first Barry, the original Barry, the proper Barry. Just becomes this bland-ass character that's kind of just... Fed up. He just, he just seems fed up and jaded. It's really bizarre. He's meant to be the kind of happy-go-lucky Justice League character. And I know that once you put that character into the position of a protagonist in a film, their role changes so much that, yeah, it's hard to keep them feeling the same way. But, but they purposefully took away everything that makes him that character in favor of nothing. They added, like, nothing. Not, not really, no. So... Instead of showing us all the cool things he knows how to do with his powers, he'll slowly show another him how to do it because he can't, he, him can't right now. Hmm. <laughs> and it's worth pointing out that instead of showing all the cool potential realities from across the multiverse, we're returning to the Eric Stoltz Back to the Future joke that Rick and Morty already did. Oh my god. The Flash is truly a terrible movie multiverse movie superhero movie it's it feels on every level it could it is an outright disaster it's crazy to me because i i love the flash comics i do and he has one of the best rogue galleries like he's got an incredible villain roster in all of comics there's only like a couple of heroes that have better sets of villains you're talking like batman right at the top spider-man right near the top and then probably the flash I don't know an individual superhero that has a better a, a better hero or villain roster besides him and those two. That's that's it. It's nuts. And they didn't include any of them. <laughs> you you've got so many cool ones. I mean, the reverse Flash is the guy who in the comics is meant to have actually killed his mother and started him on this timeline journey and all of that. No, nothing. Not a mention. No, not at all. Captain Cold he, we have all of those guys, the, the rogues, dangerous crew, fascinating crew to try and show a speedster again. No, nothing. Nothing. The giant talking gorilla, nothing. Nothing. <laughs> the TV show did such a good job of showing off every aspect of the Flash's universe, and it feels like in this they've tried to do the opposite. And you didn't need to. You could have done some of the same things that the TV show did because not everybody watches the CW that's going to go see a blockbuster. Unfortunately, nobody went and saw this blockbuster. Uh, I mean, DC have collapsed to a stunning level. And yeah, the fact that they announced a whole new universe like before the last like four movies of this universe came out, that was always going to end in disaster. But the fact that they didn't even try and like change the ending of this to kind of do the soft reboot they were looking for is baffling to me. I... Or maybe they did, but they didn't explain it if they did. They just went, oh, George Clooney, that's funny. Remember how he sucked his Batman? Well, there he is again. <laughs> that was the whole thing. Uh, it was horrible. And instead of, you know, any of those villains, any of that, they had Zod. 
which is a fucking joke. And uh, this half-assed Flashpoint idea that includes Supergirl and Michael Keaton could have been a lot bigger and better. Instead, they did a cheap, predictable twist. Threw in some ludicrously fucked CGI shots of Nicolas Cage Superman fighting a tarantula or something, and some others. And then after all that, they just kind of called it a day in one of the laziest ways I've ever seen a movie tie up its loose ends. It, it was seriously insane to me how quickly this just came to a, a, a kind of head and then just finished. <laughs> just whoop, get out of there, run. Um, so I can't say it's worth watching. Even if you're going on some convoluted run through the entire DCU, which seems like a fucking nutsy idea at this stage, that universe has about as much continuity as watching 12 completely random films in a row. Um, but yeah, anyway, The Flash managed at the rock bottom of my DCU list. It's worse than any MCU film to date, which is really saying something after Thor Love and Thunder. And I'm giving The Flash 3 out of 10. Elemental is another movie we've missed recently that I have to talk about. Now, here's the thing. I did not want to go see Elemental. I just didn't. It looked like your bog-standard Pixar thing where it's oh so funny and quirky that they have elements going out of their elements. So funny and humorous. And I was so prepared to just roll my eyes at the city design and some subpar adventurous story that was going to make me more depressed about the sinking of the Pixar brand after Soul, Luca, and Lightyear all left me feeling completely meh. Turning Red was good. And onward, but that's like years ago at this point. Um, but yeah, yeah, no. I went in with all these complete lack of expectations to Elemental, and I just loved it. I really did. I never expected, looking at any of the promotional material, that Elemental was going to be a romantic film. It looked like these two would become friends, and it would be, oh, they're different, but they're friends now. Oh, so great. No, they fall in love. It is through and through. It's the best romantic animated movie I've seen made in years if you don't count anime movies they have an unfair advantage because they're just great but um, <laughs> but elemental seriously I've not seen Pixar I mean Pixar almost never does this at all the first 10 minutes of up is like third and then this is second and Wally is first on the only times that they do decent romance stories I guess you could count Ratatouille but not really, let's be honest. <laughs> not really. So, there's this fire girl, Amber, who's awesome, great character, and wants to run her dad's shop, but not really, and we'll talk about that later. And her parents immigrated to Element City from a place inspired by... Like, like eight different cultures. I'm not sure what race they're meant to be an allegory for. Just... Asia, maybe, because each of the main three fire actors, one is from China, one is Filipino, and one is from Iran. So, yeah, anyway, they hate those water people, really hate them. Why? Because this is an allegory for racism. Shut up. <laughs> I don't, that's just, yeah, that, yeah. Anyway, she accidentally meets Water Guy, and he really makes her feel hot. She really moistens him up. Pixar, this is all your fault. I can't stop doing these. You just leave them right there, and they're just so obvious. Anyway, um, they start to unexpectedly, unnaturally, unquantifiably fall in love with each other while trying to stop a flood, a flood of love. Nope, there is an actual flood coming to fire down. <laughs> it's, a, it's a whole thing. Um, and they meet each other's parents. They see the wonders in each other's elements and worlds. They have side quests. It's just a delightful film. I don't think they're reinventing the wheel at any stop of the way. This isn't one of the best Pixar movies ever, because they used to be real great. 
but it does it does everything correctly without ever being in danger of like totally blowing your mind you know it's just sweet it's emotional it's beautiful it reminds me of onward there's nothing that was really all that ingenious about the world they built or the story they told in that film. They just did it right, did it truly in this heartfelt manner that Pixar's just known for. Pixar used to do that with really great stories that built these incredible worlds around the things they were bringing to life. Now, they've lost some of the magic. They don't build worlds that are as amazing and unique and intriguing as all that. But they do enough at the world building while keeping just that genuine sense of heartfelt beauty and wonder in that world. That's all you really need to make something pretty damn good. It's really, it's, I don't know, their, their real roots aren't in making stuff talk that doesn't normally talk, although they do that a lot. <laughs> their real roots are in these incredibly heartfelt stories that make you just fucking weep in the cinema. Not that I did. <clears throat> anyway, they do it perfectly throughout this one, and that's enough for me to give Elemental a 9 out of 10, honestly. It's really starting to get back to the level of Pixar movie that just straight up rips out your heart from your chest like a Temple of Doom. That's what they seek. That's what they love. They love that moment where you just go, ah! Not that I did. <clears throat> uh, so yeah, <laughs> it was fantastic. And Asteroid City is the last of our new movies for the week. And I've got to say that I just, I sometimes don't know what to make of Wes Anderson. I mean, nobody does. Man just got his jollies off for decades of cinema, cherry-picking whichever actors he wants to make do funny, silly, wacky things in funny, silly, wacky movies. Man must have literally made a dark pact with demonic overlords to get this laundry list of actors that reads like a complete guide as to who's attending the Oscars all in one film. Asteroid City is about... Well, like, <laughs> what are any of his films about? There's a bunch of people gathering in a small town because there's an observatory there, and there's some young genius scientists getting awards, but then an alien shows up and they all get trapped there in quarantine. Yes, really. <laughs> I can't tell whether his films are getting wackier or not. It As time goes by, it just... Maybe a bit. But they've always kind of, even when it's a regular-ish story standpoint that you start from, it goes insane. It's just that now he's starting from a weirder place, you know? He's still ending up at the completely insane place. He just, yeah. It's really weird. It's really odd. And I can always, it's always so hard to tell whether with Wes Anderson, his film is that amazing, like really, really, oh wow, oh my gosh, or just funny and dumb and silly. I wonder if it could actually be both at the same time, because it kind of feels like it is. I, I don't get it, but yeah. So, um... There's a story about Scarlett Johansson getting naked and the guy that sees her acting like literally anybody in the world would when they see Scarlett Johansson naked. There's Tom Hanks being grouchy, which is his new thing. And, I mean, a man called Otto was great, so we should just keep rolling with that. Uh, Maya Hawke is a school teacher, and all of that is just absolute gold. It's amazing. It's so funny, all of those scenes. There's um, there's some unrelated scenes with Ed Norton, who's acting almost as Nazi as in Fight Club. Tilda Swinton is a scientist who has a little too much chemistry with a child. Oh, and speaking of children, there are some. They're witches trying to resurrect or destroy the ashes of their mother or something. Uh, and the group of young scientists are hilarious in every scene they have as well. There was also Jeffrey Davis, Brian Cranston, Adrian Brody, Rupert Friend, Leif Schreiber, Willem Dafoe. I think I even saw Barbie. The story is almost there. It, it almost exists, but not quite. But that's about common with Wes Anderson. Uh, the plot kind of only ever tells a fraction of the story. That's a good line, actually. I like that one. Yeah. 
that's kind of what his films are like. If I had to describe it at this point, the easiest way is by comparing it to his other recent works. So I'd say I probably liked it as much as The Grand Budapest Hotel. Maybe less than I liked The French Dispatch. I really loved it. Asteroid City kind of just is as Asteroid City does, if that makes any sense. I can never quite tell. Like, a lot of what happens is really funny. Some of it's just weird. It seems like the, the kind of subplots they're telling are, are something, there's something really intelligent there that he's kind of, he's like licking the edge of it. But I, I don't know if he really gets to the center of it enough to really make this like an ingenious film or just really fun watch. I just, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know for sure, but I did enjoy all of it. It never dragged for me. I'm giving Asteroid City like a strong 8 out of 10, I think. Not not top of the notch for him, but it's it's there, you know, it's there. It's ranking time! <laughs> That's right, it's ranking time. There are so many things. <laughs> So many things that I hate about the Transformers movies. I mean, goddammit, they are stupid. But they aren't all the worst movie in the world. They each try to be with varying levels of success. The Michael Bay-isms are one thing throughout his movies that irritate me so, so much. It's this sort of clunky, outdated, mid-90s dialogue that just sounds wrong coming out of actors' mouths all the time. And it's the dialogue in all of his movies. Also... In James Cameron movies. I'm going to point that out. The second Avatar was good. But all of it sounded like the dialogue was 30 years old. And had been written that long ago. Which might have been considering how long they were working on that film. Anyway, today we're ranking all of the Transformers movies. So let's start with the bottom of the pile. We're going from worst to best. Transformers The Last Night. There's something about Transformers The Last Night that makes me think 2017 didn't really happen. Because there's no way that that was ever actually in cinemas. And yet, I saw it in the cinema. It was a rainy Sunday. I lost faith in humanity. My father turned to me with a tear in his eye and said, Son, life is meaningless. So yeah, Transformers The Last Night is just hot garbage. <laughs> it is crazy. See, when the franchise was just about Transformers having been on Earth now, and then also in the past... And then in the dinosaur level past, I could almost handle the nature of what was supposed to resemble some logic behind this franchise. But they couldn't stop, man. And eventually, they just out of the blue start a new film in the franchise by going, Okay, hear me out. Merlin. M Merlin. Like King Arthur and Merlin. Knew a bunch of Transformers. And now Merlin's staff is the MacGuffin that will turn Earth into Unicron. <laughs> Like, it's amazing that you could simultaneously come up with a story that is so stupid and nonsensical to casual viewers while also spitting on everything about the franchise lore that you're making use of. Unicron isn't Earth! That, just, that shouldn't need said, but it does, just in case you don't know the actual, like, animation and stuff as well. But, my God, it's, it's kind of obvious, I feel like, looking at this film. And yet, it's like... There's this level of disbelief watching it, kind of going, oh, so it must really just be leaning into the animated shows and some of the kookier shit from that, no? No, <laughs> it's shitting on those as well as being this bad. It's nuts. That would be 
almost a level of excuse. If Michael Bay was just trying to stay really true to the lore behind Transformers, he's not. He's just not. Oh, and Optimus Prime is the bad guy this time. For a while. As if he isn't a sick, degenerate bastard all the rest of the time. He's such a bastard in all the other movies. Anyone notice that Optimus Prime feels much more like a villain the majority of the film? It doesn't matter. Anyway. I, I just... Yeah. It's a tragic story that somehow actually became a film. A real big budget one. And to this day, I believe it may have been some sort of horrible night terror instead of something I actually saw in the cinema. Because I didn't see it again until literally this week. And... In my head, I inflated it and went, well, it can't be that bad, but it is that bad. It's the level of bad that blockbusters shouldn't be able to be, you know? Because there should be a level of enjoyment in, like, the action sequences and stuff at the end anyway, even if it's just tragic on story terms, which is what most of the other Transformers movies are like. But this one hits a level that should be practically unattainable by any film that makes it into a cinema, a real-life cinema. So, Transformers The Last Night gets a 2 out of 10. Next is Age of Extinction. Yeah. Um, I mean, the precursor to The Last Night this was, and it was better than it. But I think it's just such a bummer that after the horror show of the Shia trilogy, they got two films with Mark Wahlberg, who made a string of amazing action movies throughout the 2010s. And somehow they were both this bad. No, this one didn't have Merlin or any of that crap, but it was a two-hour, 45-minute train wreck that dealt with Transformers wiping out the dinosaurs, Optimus Prime enslaving an ancient race of robots, and that being like a fun, like, yeah, he's still the good guy thing somehow. Uh, the absolute most cringeworthy couple in blockbuster history, in Kate's daughter and her shitey race car driving boyfriend who gave Irish characters in blockbusters a real bad name. I, I hated them. I hated the both of them, like, so much. They were such shit characters. They were not relatable to young people trying to get away from their parents and stuff. No, they were just absolutely atrocious characters. Mark Wahlberg's character was fine, fine, but just bogged down in all of the shit around him. Um, and the finale. Like, I get that you just want to do big action set pieces in the finale, but why... Did the bad guy just go, all right, fucking magnet? <laughs> just, and started, this giant magnet started, like, lifting up everything. It was, like, it had never been mentioned. It wasn't a thing. He just kind of went, right, fuck it, magnet. <laughs> it was so, so dumb. It's just one giant blob of mess, you know? There's some memorably bad things in there, but it just kind of, because it's just that long a film, it just kind of forms into this, uh in my mind, it is horrible. <laughs> it really is. Um, so yeah, the, without anything as bad sticking out about it as the whole like Merlin story and stuff from the last night, it just kind of feels like another one, you know? Uh, just another generally awful one to me. Um, I, I, I don't have Shia there to annoy me and yet somehow it's worse than any of his films. That really did surprise me. Watching back through them, I kind of thought, yeah, but the, the Shia movies, they've got Shia. They're worse, right? They're worse than the Mark Wahlberg ones. They're not. And that's crazy. That, that really speaks as to how bad a lot of the characters around him were, Mark Wahlberg, and how bad all of the just general storytelling was in both of these. Um, and the action at this point, like, in some of the Shia films, there was, like, good or enjoyable or whoa kind of action. 
it was just garbage at this point. It just wasn't even enjoyable to watch those scenes. It was just like, what the hell's even going on right now? I just couldn't handle it at all. And it was so goddamn long. Like, holy crap. So Age of Extinction gets a 3 out of 10. It's hard to believe in a lot of ways that Revenge of the Fallen is a real movie. You know? You have Shia the Beef. He's refusing to say he's in love with his Megan Fox-shaped girlfriend. Like, he's going to college. He's just awful. <laughs> And then there's the Transformers. They're hunting down Decepticons and brutally murdering them even when they're unable to defend themselves. They're the good guys. Yeah, just to remind you, yeah. Um, Optimus, he tries to fight three Decepticons at once, and it's easy until he forgets Megatron is behind him and gets stabbed in the back and murdered. And, and that really makes you question how this robot has been fighting this other robot for centuries and then just kind of forgets he's behind him and one quick stab and he's, he's dead. <laughs> and that's just, he's totally dead. How? Doesn't matter. Um, so, yeah, then Optimus is dead, and so is the film, as it meanders along a way too long runtime. Not as bad as Age of Extinction, but, yeah. Sometimes I, I think, wait, am I just ranking these by most unbearably long to shortest? At times, that is how it was decided, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, which one's better, just which one's shorter. But, uh, yeah, no, the, you know, you've got Sam and his ragtag crew of human characters at that point, and while Optimus is dead for ages, um, they're just kind of going around investigating stuff, you know? You don't remember any of the other names apart from Sam. I just don't. What was Megan Fox's name? Man. Michaela, okay, I did, I did. All right, but yeah, there's these other people that are whatever. They're just kind of there. In all Michael Bay films, they're just a bunch of characters that are just unnecessary, anyway. Um, I swear to God, in this one, The Matrix, there's The Matrix. The MacGuffin's just called The Matrix, The Matrix of Leadership, which sounds like something Andrew Tate encourages you to unlock to become an alpha male. It's so horrible. It is a complete horror show. It really makes me question the fact that I didn't totally hate it the first time I watched it. What was I, 12? Oh. Did I not? Yes. Yes. Yes, I was. Um, <laughs> that's the thing. I, 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 In my head, the Shia films, as much as I didn't like them, I didn't think they were this bad. Because it probably... I probably was 12 the last time I watched most of them. Um, and then there's the finale. Which is my favorite part, because they literally just get transported. Just teleported immediately to the place they gotta be for the thing to happen. That's particularly gruesome, yeah. Overall, Revenge of the Fallen, it kind of also gets a 3 out of 10. It's a better one than Age of Extinction, but... Only by a little bit. <laughs> if Age of Extinction had been 20 minutes shorter, they might have been better than this one, yeah. Um, okay, here's the thing about Dark of the Moon. It was kind of my favorite of the original, like, of the Michael Bay series. When when I first saw them all, I was like, okay. Because, just because in my memory, it sped through a lot of the early crap these films are forced to do and got to the big third act in Chicago quite early. That's not really what it was like watching it back. And while it remains my favorite third act of any of the Michael Bay movies, it's not good. <laughs> Because it has so much of the Shia crap, as always, which is bad. And the Patrick Dempsey human bad guy thing was just so dumb. I mean, the Decepticons just wanted to destroy Earth. He was like, yeah, whatever. You know, it just, oh, it just doesn't work like that. <laughs> um, I still like the third act well enough. But I 
I don't, I can't excuse the dumbass plan of the Autobots. The idea that we were meant to be surprised when they weren't all dead, but it kept them all dead for like an hour while we walked around investigating things with Shia and pretending he and some army guys were just going to fight the Decepticons on their own. I mean, what the fuck? <laughs> it, was, it was so inexcusably dumb. And the entire idea of the Autobots to be like, oh, the humans are angry at us and don't want us here. I guess to teach them a lesson, we should let millions be murdered in Chicago. They're the good they're the good guy they're the good guys, yeah. And and it's so weird because they're always talking, you know, about how oh humans are crap in these movies and how the Autobots are like morally superior. After that, I just don't feel like they are at all. But anyway, yeah. It it's fine. It feels it feels like a big step up for me. From those previous three Transformers movies. This is kind of the point in the franchise where I'm kind of like more... Okay, I could probably watch that again and not scream. Just the whole time endlessly in pain. And I'm giving Dark to the Moon like 5 out of 10. Still not... You know, it's not strong by any means. Almost none of them are. And then we come to Transformers 2007. The original... Shia was a dumb teen, Megan Fox ended up into him, and we all began to understand the true strength of how much life-threatening situations in a cool car can do for average-looking men. What a hero to my people he was. <laughs> but seriously, if only because the AllSpark was a simple MacGuffin, the characters were mostly within the limits of reason, it wasn't overly long, and nobody needed to rewrite ancient history of Earth to shove Transformers in. If only for all that, I can still stomach this original one. It was... It's a traditionally dumb, naughty's blockbuster. It's very American, but it was Autobots and Decepticons hunting for something. I still can't believe Shia's character gets involved because his grandfather's glasses are the key. That is dumb as fuck. But the overall film is bearable. It's manageable. It just didn't go ten layers beyond so stupid that I want to spoon out my own eyeballs. And for all of that alone, I'll give Transformers a 6 out of 10. <laughs> Optimus Primal. <laughs> oh, I do miss the days where there were just Autobots and Decepticons, because now we've got Maximals and Predacons, but also Terracons. Yeah, we're in the 90s because Bumblebee gave them an excuse to reboot everything, and Unicron is at the very least being done a little better than in the last night. Uh, so Rise of the Beasts is about Unicron. He's a planet-eating McGuff thing. And he wants to the transwarp key because just... Just fucking MacGuffins. <laughs> just fucking MacGuffins in this franchise. Why does the trans... Why, why do every Transformers film need a MacGuffin? It's so annoying. I don't... Ah, uh, yeah. Anyway. Transwarp key, there's two pieces, you know. At the end of Act 1, the bad guys get one piece. At the end of Act 2, they get the other piece. Basically, the whole film is about the Autobots being shit at everything until the finale when they need to be good. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Ramos is the dude st stuck being the human that goes, Whoa, car is robot. And he's got a sick brother and is trying to get a job to help pay for his brother's treatment. Which might be a basic story, but it is enough to make him more compelling than Shia ever was in just like three minutes flat of screen time. Yeah. Um, now, uh, right. As for the... The Optimus Primal thing. I get it, okay? It was a cartoon that it came from, and it was funny. because they're animals. It's Optimus Primal, like Optimus Prime. And even references it in the film. And does say, yes, I was named after you, the great warrior from Cybertron. 
but it's still the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It was so dumb. Yeah. So they have their planet. It gets destroyed. They come to Earth. They've been hiding there this whole time, and the Autobots didn't know because the Autobots, I cannot emphasize this enough, just appear to be shit at everything in this version of the universe. They are awful. The Autobots come together. They work with Anthony Ramos despite not wanting to because... I don't know, because the story has to happen. And then they get their asses kicked, because guess what? As far as alien warriors go, the Autobots suck at doing that too. They're just bad at everything. And the hero from the last film just gets fucking bodied for no real reason. Yeah, Bumblebee. He was he was the hero in the whole first film in this new version of the franchise. Fucking bodied. Isn't in most of the film. Is just lying there dead while they go, maybe we'll fix him? And... <laughs> And his whole plot from his film about, like, making sure Earth was a safe haven, that nobody else was following them here. Oh, okay, except the Optimus Primal and his guys have been here this whole time. And there's, like, a bunch of Decepticons here. And it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. <laughs> it was all fucked. Um, and, yeah, yeah, I think at least Mirage is a fun character. Pete Davidson is kind of actually the right choice to give a fresh coat of paint to the heroes of this franchise when he says, you've been inside of me, to Anthony Ramos. That was funny. That really cracked me up. Um, they globetrot. You know, they fuck around. There's a Danny Rojas Transformer, which I loved, and I'm just not even going to mention the Liza Koshy of it all because um, the humans are proved useful several times throughout the film because they can sneak into places for the Autobots, which is great and all, but kind of ruins the whole robots in disguise portion of the franchise, you know? Which is sort of the whole thing, that's the whole idea, yeah. Um, <laughs> I do like that there's no human villains, because Unicron is just trying to destroy Earth, so come on. And I'm so sick of the US government being tricked into helping the bad guys, it's really annoying. They do just stay away from government completely, until the very end, and we'll talk about that. Um, that is a big plus. The whole film is still sort of, meh. But it's an improvement on anything Michael Bay touched, I think, yeah. I think the big improvement is keeping it smaller scale. Despite having all these factions, it feels like there's less characters than most of the other films. The finale with Mirage making Noah and Iron Man is pretty painful, and I wish it hadn't happened. The whole finale actually did quite... It brought it down a lot. It was a cool design in the valley. Unicron's coming down, the faceless army of bots they're fighting, but... I don't know, the whole Optimus trying to sacrifice himself thing and Noah saving him in his mech suit. There's just such dumbassery in there. I wanted it to be better. It was for the first two acts. But I expected it to be worse. And it was for the last act. I'm not quite sure I believe the reality <laughs> of the whole G.I. Joe bit at the end. That is insane. But I'm giving Transformers Rise of the Beasts a strong-ish 6 out of 10. I still can't quite believe it's going that high. But it, it, yeah, yeah. Maybe just in comparison to the other films. It's better than them. Yeah. But then, freaking Bumblebee. I'm telling you. They just kept trying to go bigger. But the real success for this franchise, it lies in the small-scale action piece. Bumblebee rebooted the Transformers universe, didn't mind letting it feel kind of cartoony, but at the same time it was the most interesting and realistic story they've done. It made a Transformer feel more like an actual character instead of the constant, I am Optimus Prime, leader, leader, blah, 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 die, enemy scum, that we normally get. Leaving him almost completely out was the best decision any film in this franchise has ever made. I hate Optimus Prime as a character. He's fucking terrible. All the time. He sucks. Anyway, Bumblebee comes to Earth. It's the 80s. There is a brutal amount of 80s paraphernalia. He gets the piss beaten out of him. And I really like that they had Dylan O'Brien voice him as this very much young, loyal, sergeant-type, kind of white knight warrior. Fit, it feels like it fits the bill. And then his voice box is fucking ripped out and he's killed, but not killed quite. 
And then a Haley Steinfeld-shaped character who acts a lot like Haley Steinfeld in every role she ever does turns up, finds him, becomes his best friend ever, because screw you, Shia. And they go on an adventure that... They're just... They're just trying not to get murdered by a John Cena-shaped character who acts a lot like John Cena in every John Cena role ever. He's a military boy, but doesn't like that he got beaten up in the middle of a fight between B and the Decepticon, so he's going to kill everything. But he's still actually reasonable and sees the reason in helping B eventually, which I enjoyed. He's not a straight-up, I'm military, therefore I kill guy. He was only that for 90% of the film. Um... <laughs> Uh, Bumblebee is just trying to make Earth a secret hideout for the Autobots, who are seemingly running away from the war, given what they said in Rise of the Beasts, but that's just not important in the context of this one, just forget about it. All he's got to do is take out a couple of Decepticons who have found him, but never reported the fact that he's on Earth to any of their bosses, apparently. Yeah, um, anyway, it, it's a beautiful film, which feels more E.T. than Transformers a lot of the time. It's wonderfully emotional and powerful compared to any of the others. It's far less of an action film, which isn't a bad thing, and an easy winner for my favourite Transformers movie. I'm giving Bumblebee an 8 out of 10. So yeah, in summary, the Transformers franchise is a hodgepodge of the worst CGI action blockbuster garbage that America can produce, and America produces some. Fucking shit. It was the perfect vehicle for Michael Bay to do a depressing volume of Michael Bay things and never really get questioned for it until he'd completely lost the plot by the release of the fifth one. I mean, that in every way. He lost all sense of plot. Um, <laughs> that was seriously shite. Um, they are currently producing an animated prequel film, two sequels, and something to do with G.I. Joe. So it'll never end, and we'll have to go over all this again next time. But for now, I've got The Last Night at the Bottom, then Age of Extinction, then 231, then Rise of the Beast, shockingly high up the list for a film with the character Optimus Primal in it, and Bumblebee at the very pinnacle of what they should be doing in the future, but I just know they won't. <laughs> oh, God. Wait a second. This movie is... Terrible! Okay, you just gotta hear me out in this one, okay? See, movies are good, but more often, movies are so goddamn bad, and as if the Transformers franchise wasn't already filled with enough garbage to make you think the Ben Men are on strike again, imagine what would happen if somebody with, well, roughly the same level of storytelling ability and character depth as Michael Bay movies came along with a budget of $300,000 instead of $300 million. What they would make is something that defies the laws of not just filmmaking, but the laws of nature. And that's what happened in 2007, when the first Transformers film came out, and the Asylum, who love, I love them on the Movies Are Bad section of the podcast, they, in turn, made Transmorphers. Oh, God! <laughs> So, look, I understand filmmaking technology has advanced in the last 16 years, but the fact that high school students could do the level of special effects now that these guys could barely manage in 2007 is still stunning to me. Transfor Transmorphers has already had a sequel, and with the new Transformers movie being released, they're going to throw out a third. But the original movie was a simple story about a group of human rebels fighting back against the giant alien-controlled robots who took over Earth 300 years ago. <laughs> so let me get this straight. It's been 300 years of humans fight like living underground, fighting against the regime of these things, and they only now discover 
that the aliens aren't controlling the robots. They are the robots. <laughs> also, while boldly threading the line of escaping copyright infringement against the Transformers franchise, they dared to make it a big reveal 50 minutes into the film that the robots are sentient creatures? Hot damn, you're a stupid one, Mr. Grinch. But never mind lining up the story to make sense, they can't even line up the clearly dubbed voiceover with the actors' mouths moving. I don't... Uh, yeah. Everyone looks like they're in the Matrix porn parody, or acting like they're fighting off Skynet under the command of John Connor, and have generally very little to confuse anybody about this being a Transformers movie. Shots of the actual robots are about as rare as a shot of Godzilla in his 2014 movie. The low budget forced them to make it rare that we really see one. But then... When you really start to see them, especially in that kind of big finale section, you just feel like it's not rare enough because, wow. It looks like those old phone apps. Do you remember when when they, like, they cost, like, 49p and they, they would put, like, they would overlay CGI destruction shots on top of whatever your camera's showing? Yeah. Yeah, those apps didn't even cost, like, a pound to get back in the day, so I'm not sure where the rest of that $300,000 went in their budget. Um, maybe into the weird, nonsensical split-screen shots, which just keep happening and just... It's just like a... You know, the editing's bad all the time, but that, that feels like a real reminder of just how tragic it is and how lazy it is. Um, or the budget might have gone into the impressively horrific dialogue used in scenes where they try to make it clear that the protagonist is a radical, you know, a renegade, a maverick, you know, never mind. <laughs> it's, it's, it's all so annoying and desperate. He's an asshole, the protagonist, and they know, they all know he's an asshole, but they put him in charge, presumably because they all view it as a suicide mission and don't give a fuck. And when they actually start doing fight scenes, it, oh... The only thing I can compare it to is like those the really cheap arcade real shooter video games, you know? The robots are, I don't know, they're almost something. <laughs> they don't look like anything. The scenes where they fight them are just absolute chaos. There's just all this really bad voiceover dialogue work going on all over the place. It's barely audible over all the shooty-shooty gun sound effects, which are just, oh, it's so bad. Oh, also their plan throughout the film seems to be we take this squad of people who were like taking out of prison sentences after they were on ice it's like an early version of suicide squad um but in the future and we send them to capture robot and use that to destroy all the other robots and then it's not until the final act where they go wait we could use one of our robots to destroy all the other robots and that would be a lot easier and then they reveal <laughs> reveal that the protagonist is also a robot uh, and I mean he's he's he's, <laughs> he's been put in prison for being a radical instead of just being I don't know shut down like or destroyed because he's oh, oh, oh the story is just horrific and just sought as many random ass twists in the in the third act region as it could possibly fit in for no real reason it even like shows this girl one of the one of the main girls go kind of crouch down going oh no in front of the robots as a bunch of them shoot at her and then it's the the other girl goes oh no and then the protagonist comes along and goes 
Where is she? Oh, God, where is she? And then she just walks up and she's like, hey. <laughs> it is so horrible. And it really does have the most extreme version I think I've ever seen of the Stormtrooper effect, where there are, like, an overwhelming number of robots. Like, there's, like, 50, 60. They just kind of shove them all over the screen, CGIing them in terribly. And then they just, they just never kill any of the characters who are just kind of standing out in the open most of the time. It's just so sad. It's so sad to look at the action scenes. It's almost as depressing seeing the dialogue scenes, like the scene where the protagonist is like looking after he finds out that androids are a thing. He later finds out he is one. But the first one he sees is this woman android and he just kind of like turns to the guy who made her and he's like, can you make me one of those? <laughs> and that's like a five minute scene. It lasts so long. It's yeah, everything is terrible. It's all so horrible. It feels like, it reminds me of like the Starship Troopers movie and what a big letdown that was and how nonsensical it was from, from the source material. Knowing going in that this is obviously meant to be a Transformers ripoff, it's like the craziest thing to watch ever. It's nuts. You just wouldn't know it was meant to be a ripoff of Transformers unless it was, you know, literally called Transmorphers. I <laughs> Um, I don't think I can say it's the worst Asylum movie I've seen, but the Asylum's films in general are supposed to be taken about one level more seriously than Girls Gone Wild. I got that joke from the Wikipedia page for this movie, and I can't tell whether it's sadder that even the Wikipedia page is bagging on the production company, or that I actually read the Wikipedia page for this movie. <laughs> I can't tell what's really happening, even while really paying attention to the action sequences outside. It's a bizarre kind of mess. Almost all of the acting is inexcusable. Um, it is just nuts. And some of these people have appeared in, like, actual things. Not, like, big things, but, like, some of them have been in, like, the WWE in the past and stuff like that, some of these actors. And, and you just you just wouldn't know that any of them have acted before in their life. It's just, wow. Um, but, yeah, anyway, I, I'm giving Transmorphers a 1. Out of 10, unsurprisingly. And I cannot wait to see the other trash films in this franchise at some point in the future. I just know I'm not going to get away with it until I've talked about them all now that I've started it. God. Oh, jeez. Oh, man. Oh, here I go. Fan casting again. Fan cast time. Fan cast time. Oh, here we go. <laughs> okay, hear me out. It's fan cast time. What if they immediately got so hot for Elemental Story that they remade it immediately? in live action. I'm not saying they ever should. Never saying they should. Live action remakes of animated movies are generally a monstrosity. But it's just such a fun exercise, I can't help myself. So Elemental, in live action, here we go. One of the major surprises for me was the actual lack of characters, you know? And this happens a lot in love stories, you know? Consequentially, it's a love story. There's two important characters. And then a few others worth mentioning. But for what looked at Bromos to be a kind of widespread sort of story across the city, <laughs> There are relatively few characters who mean anything, but let's cast anyway. So we're starting with Amber Lumen. And, ah, you know, <laughs> racial sensitivity is such a topic when, when, we, uh, when we do recastings and when companies actually make live action versions of their movies. And I just, I thought because this is such a recently released film, we'd try and just hit like relatively the same direction for, for ethnicities when we're casting the live-action version of these characters. My problem with the the whole Lumen family, all three of them, is that it, it is kind of widespread. I said it earlier while talking about Elemental. There, 
they're just kind of all Asian. <laughs> it, it is, it's all over the place. One of them, I think, was Chinese descendant. One of them is Filipino. One of them is from Iran. So I tried to stick somewhat in that direction. But when I looked at Ember's character and her style and her fire, all I could think of was casting Maitrey Ramakrishnan. I am so white. I can't even vaguely assume that was the correct pronunciation, but the star of Netflix's Never Have I Ever. She is awesome. I went into that show. I remember when the first season came out, I was like, hmm. And I watched a couple episodes, and I just loved her. I just thought she was so great, and she was such an interesting character for the lead in a kind of teenage series. It was, It felt different and unique, and they kind of kept that characterization throughout, and I really liked that. And I... I really enjoyed the show. It's just recently finished. I enjoyed the whole thing. Four seasons. I thought it was good. And Maitre is a big reason. And her character, Davy, was always this just fiery teenager. She'd lost her dad. She was growing up Indian American. And it, I don't know. There's just there's something about that character that I, I felt like really linked to Amber and her style. Because she has this kind of journey through Elemental of figuring out she doesn't really want to run her dad's shop. She wants to go out and find her own thing and do her own thing. And that is, it's the same kind of coming-of-age story that Davy's character went through and Never Have I Ever, and millions of characters have gone through in various media. But also, there was this sense of, like, romance always on the horizon for her. And that was very much part of Never Have I Ever as well. That was just really well handled. The mix between those different sections, all these different parts of growing up, I felt like that was a character that did it so well. And Matrey is just a great actor who is 21 now. I'm amazed. She's finished doing a teenager role for years in a, in a series. And is only now 21? Wow. It's impressive. But that puts her at kind of the right age, I think, for what you want, Ember, if you were doing this in live action, like right now. Which obviously isn't going to happen. <laughs> but it's fun. <laughs> the other Lumens, her parents, Bernie Lumen, great character. Great character. I liked Bernie a lot. It was kind of like aging, but they didn't feel the need to like kill him off for drama or anything. Uh, he He's just a nice, kind character, but he's got this like... I was literally about to say he's got this fire to him, but that's true. That's exactly what he's got. And he's wonderful. He's a really fun parent figure because he mixes the, oh, I'm scared of telling my dad this is going on, while making it so clear that she has this good relationship with him and loves him, you know? Balancing that is difficult. They crushed it and made Amber and Bernie's relationship feel like a really important one in the film, even while the main part of the film was Amber and Wade's whole thing. Normally, just in romance films, it's it's the relationship is there between the main two and then whatever <laughs> for the relationships that everybody else... But that was a beautiful relationship. I'd like to see Lou Diamond Phillips do this in live action. Her dad and, and the actor that played him in the animated film was this Filipino voice actor who's done a lot of work in the past, a lot of projects. But I thought, okay, if you were going to cast it, if you were going to stick with maybe the Filipino style for the dad, Lou Diamond Phillips would be fantastic. He's done a lot, just more roles. He's well-known. And he's, I think, around the right age. It's kind of hard to know what age are, like, Amber and Wade meant to be because... I don't think they're actually meant to be teenagers as such. It is like they're in their 20s or something. 
I'm kind of unsure about exactly where to cast that whole thing, but yeah, I think that's kind of the right direction. Therefore, their parents are probably looking at more casting late 50s, early 60s than kind of normal parent age for a for a coming-of-age story. That's the weird thing. It does seem like they're that bit older, but I, I'm not sure. I mean, he's already, with already a city inspector. He's got to be a bit older, right? I think he was maybe meant to be older than Ember, but I also don't know. No. Um, anyway, then Cinder is Cinder Lumen is um, is Ember's mother, and again she she was an Iranian actor. I was kind of like, okay, can I find somebody who kind of fits that bill? I did in the end. I find Nazanin Boniadi. <laughs> it's really funny to me to to pronounce these names because I just know. How horrible it all sounds. <laughs> it is it is dreadful. But she's done a bunch of roles. She did a lot on like General Hospital and its spin-off. Um she was in the Ben Hur remake they did. Which yeah, I know, I know. Uh she was in Homeland and I remember she was in The Rings of Power recently. And my only problem is she might be a bit young for the role. Like that that is a problem. Like she's just like forty-three. I'm not entirely sure about that. It seems like, well, she would have had to be quite young with Jet Ember. If you're casting Betray, that's 21 she is. So it's kind of doable, but it is. I kind of said, you probably want to cast their parents a bit older than normal parent age. She's more of like normal parent age for a teenager. So there is quite an age gap there. Hollywood age gap between, uh, between Bernie and Cinder in that situation. But I think they'd both be good in those roles. Cinder kind of, there's just this kind of comedy tour that I think Nazanin would be really good at. General Hospital, like all of them, they're drama-based, but they kind of show that off a little bit, right? They kind of show that off at different times. I think she's good, good at that part. And then, Weird. Hmm. <laughs> Mamadou Athi was really good as Weird and felt like he fit the bill as this very non-toxic male character. That was that was the main thing I thought about that character in the whole film. I was like, oh, Weird is so, so good and non-toxic. It's great. And it's difficult to uh, to find a lot of male actors who are kind of that young who haven't been trying to present themselves as this like future-leading man potential thing and are more open and in tune with their emotions through their characters. And I mean, there's a lot of them that, you know, could theoretically maybe play this role, but I don't know. I, I feel like maybe there's a lot of them that aren't quite, that don't quite fit the bill. I want to try and cast for this, if they were doing it in live action, Shamik Murr, who plays Miles Morales in, in the Spider-Verse movies. And so he's kind of already shown off like this great mean character energy, but in quite an emotionally vulnerable sense that you don't see in a lot of superhero movies for the lead. And I really like that. And there's this youthfulness to Miles that I really like. And Shamik Murr has done some great live-action roles already. So there's that kind of mix, because you would want to probably doing, like, the CGI or whatever for the live-action water thing. You know, I really didn't think about that, about what the hell this would look like in live-action. But uh, yeah, that's, that's basically what you'd be looking for. While doing mostly a voice acting performance. And that's why I wanted Schmick. He's He's got this focus on voice acting. He's so goddamn good at it. Miles, mwah, beautiful characterization in the Spider-Verse films. But 
he can do the live action stuff as well. That's that's a good mix. That's what I want for him. And his mother, Brooke Ripple, I thought maybe you could just go ahead and, and cast Halle Berry. I like how they did kind of ignore the idea of like race at all, generally, in uh in the animated film. They cast Catherine O'Hara, who is one of the whitest women ever, as as uh, as Wade's mother, even though Wade himself was being played by a black guy. And I love that they just kind of ignored that. I don't know if you would get away with doing the same thing in live action, but if it was, again, they're water people, you probably can. But uh, I thought Halle Berry would be great for the role because she's kind of past the average mother age. She's into her, like, later 50s now, I think, but is, well, still doesn't look it. <laughs> for one, definitely doesn't look it. But also, I love Halle Berry. I love her roles. I love her as a kind of mother because all of her characters, they come off with this, like, briskness that... I feel like mixing that with the emotional style of the water characters in this is a really fun thing to play with, and I think she'd be great at that. And then there's kind of there's other characters you can cast, just I'd say for the sake of having cast one of each type, let's kind of add some more on here. Gail is a relatively important character. Gail Cumulus. God fuck it, the names. <laughs> just They're just so uh, 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 pound the element thing in as much as they can. Gale is your very traditional, um, I'm going to call it Melissa McCarthy character, because that's who I'm casting. It's not who played her in the animated film, but Melissa McCarthy, yeah. It's loud, it's brash, it's kind of stand, she's standoffish at first, but once you get to know her, she's a lot warmer and fun and just doesn't shut up. That's a Melissa McCarthy character. And brings this kind of very just plain, middle-aged female talk quickly, style of character, and comedy to the role. That's a Melissa McCarthy character, 1000%. <laughs> Claude, I guess we can talk about. Claude is the little earth boy who is like hitting on Ember, and it's like mildly uncomfortable because it's like, what did you see, and what did she, and what, 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 what? And he just doesn't stop. Yeah, but god damn it. Uh, I want to cast Evan Witten for him. Evan Witten was the star of Chupa recently for Netflix. And I feel like the, none of the elements... Like, at first when I saw the promotional material for Elemental, I was like, okay, so are the fiery ones going to be like Latin people? You know, that's the whole like stereotype. And they didn't do that. But then I didn't really think they cast any Latin characters at all. And I think maybe more like the earthy ones or... I don't know. I think it's just all over the place and they didn't really worry and they kind of colorblinded their way through it, which is fine. But um, <laughs> but Evan Witten in Chupa was kind of this slightly irritating young boy character who was there. And if he'd been a side character, I would have liked Chupa more. But he was the main character. <laughs> that makes me think Claude would be perfect role for him. And finally, Fern Grouchwood. You can't have a name like Fern Grouchwood and expect me not to cast Nick Offerman in live action. Ron Swanson as a character who's literally got grouch in his name. I love it. <laughs> I love it. And that's all for this episode, folks. That is a not bad looking fan cast. I quite like that one. I like the idea of seeing that in live action. I hope we don't, though, because just stop it, Disney. Just stop it. Don't move on to Pixar in live action. It's just going to be disastrous for literally any Pixar film. Well... Yes, literally any pick. Well, Incredibles, maybe. 
No, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> and next time out, we're going to be doing a couple episodes in quite quick succession this week because we need to still catch up on some stuff. So next episode, it's the Barbenheimer one. We're going to be doing Barbie and Oppenheimer. We're also going to be talking about the Insidious franchise. I'm very excited. And we'll have another podcast. We'll have another Movies Are Bad section. And I hope that you guys all tune in for that. But for now, farewell. Live your dreams. Live your life. And don't watch Transformers or Morphers. Both bad. <laughs>